humility because you just walked into the greatest power source in the universe. Right? So this guy falls to his knees, said, Lord, if you, if you would, would you cleanse me? And Jesus so graciously picks him up and says, I want to be clean. And you saw it, touched him. And the Bible says, immediately the leprosy left him. Isn't that awesome? The leprosy left immediately. It was gone. Do you know that the thing you've been trying to change in your life for all these years that you can't seem to change? If you'll humble yourself and ask Jesus to touch it, he can instantly change it. I'm sure this guy's been to the doctors. He's been to the, 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 probably all the voodoo and witchcraft people he could find. They probably put all kind of hoaxes and, and things on him to try and get the leprosy to leave. And they couldn't. They could not until he met Jesus. And in an instant, he runs into Jesus and his life is forever changed. Right? Isn't that awesome? The man falls down on a sign of humility. You got to remember this, that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Anything God starts in your life is going to be done when you humble yourself. You want God to change something in your life? We've been talking about it for four weeks. You ought to know what needs to change by now. If you want that thing to change, the first thing you got to do is humble yourself. What does that mean, pastor? That means you need to get on your knees before God and say, Lord, I've made a mess of my life. I've ruined it. I've tried everything. I can't change myself. I need you. I desperately need you. And it's not just words. It's something that comes from your heart. It's a realization that I've messed everything up. And there's only one person that can change it. And that's Jesus. I'm lost and empty and broken. And the only one that can fill me is Jesus. It starts with humility. Anything that God does in our life starts with humility. If we'll humble ourselves, Jesus can do anything in our lives. Say that with me. Say anything. Do you believe that this morning? Do you really believe that Jesus can do anything? Can we trust him to do that? In an instant, Jesus touches this man with leprosy and he's healed. We don't ever need to forget That Jesus can do something instantly. Today, we've got all kinds of resources to go to. The medical field is incredible and it's vast. I mean, it's just, it's big, it's huge. There's all kinds of things you can take for all kinds of symptoms and all kinds of problems. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. There's counselors you can go to. There's psychics you can go to, if that's what you do. Which, by the way, there was a psychic down the road by Walmart when the flood came, but she didn't get out. So I don't, she didn't get the word. Just, I, just food for thought. But there's all kind of sources to go to. There's all kind of places to go to. But listen to me. Don't ever forget that in an instant, Jesus can change your life. In an instant. I believe in the miracle working power of Jesus. I believe that today. When I pray for people, I'm praying for the instant change right now. And you know what? If he chooses not to change something instantly, that's his business. 
but I'm going to believe him for miracle-working power. Right? Jesus instructs him not to go talking about this all over town. Jesus was trying to keep his miracle power or his healing power quiet at this moment. You got to remember, in this moment, Jesus was trying to get the message out that people needed to repent of their sins and come to him, the source of life. And, and, and in this moment, Jesus, Jesus decided that his message was more important than his ability to heal people. So he told the guy, he says, don't go tell anybody. Quietly present yourself to the priest and go through the, the religious uh, structure on how to, how to get healed and, and make an offering for your healing. Basically a thanksgiving type of offering that you've been healed. But this guy was so compelled, so overwhelmed by what had just happened to him that he couldn't listen. <laughs> He went, he went immediately and started running his mouth. <laughs> and he starts telling everybody. And before you know it, there's a whole crowd of people coming to see him, to see Jesus. And they're coming to hear what he's got to say, but they're also coming because they want the same thing that the leper got. Right? Watch this verse. This is the key verse in all of this. He says this. He says, your cleansed and obedient life, not your words, will bear witness to what I've done. Your cleansed and obedient life, not your words, will bear witness to what I've done. Are you seeing this? Okay, today, people don't listen. Right? People don't listen like they used to. People don't visit like they used to. They don't sit on the front porch and, and, and chew the cud with each other and, and talk about this and share a cup of coffee. I mean, it's rare that you see that anymore. I'm actually going the opposite way. I'm trying to build my life that way where I can actually go and sit down with somebody and drink coffee and talk. I got, I got to make myself do that. But people today don't listen. But there's one thing they do is they watch you. Right? Come on. You know, you know who you are, you stalkers on Facebook. You ain't got an account yourself, but you jumped on your husband or your wife's account and you checking everybody out. I know who you are. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you checking everybody out. You watching Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. People won't listen, but they'll watch and they'll read what's going on. So watch this. With your cleansed and obedient life, not your words will bear witness to what Jesus has done in your life. You see, when people won't listen to you, don't ever forget that they're not watching you because they're watching you. As soon as you said you were a Christian, you made that declaration to the universe that I'm surrendering my life to Jesus. You now got a bullseye on your back and people are watching you. They're watching. They're looking for mistakes. They're looking for failures. They're looking for reasons not to believe in Jesus themselves. They're looking for reasons for it to not be true because they don't want to change. But just let them keep watching. And let them see your changed life and your obedient life. And one day they're going to come to you and they're going to say, hey, what happened to you? You know, I've been watching you. You're not as mean as you used to be. Get you some of that. You, you don't, you don't, you don't run the bars no more. What's up, bro? 
Girl, you come to the beauty salon and, and you don't say nothing. <laughs> Step on a couple toes right there. What? Well, they're going to see your changed life and they're going to come to you and they're going to ask how your life changed. And then you can give them the words of life. Right? If they don't want to listen right now, just let God keep changing you. And as he changes you, it's just going to draw them in closer and closer. Because you see, let me tell you how it works. When you give your life to Jesus and he starts to change your life, he then shines his glory on you. You know what that means? He puts this heavenly spotlight on you. And people, it's kind of like you become the bug light. (laughs) This is for real. (laughs) You become the bug light and all of a sudden all these bugs are attracted to you. You getting this? You seeing it? All right. And so all these people are watching you now. Jesus, God puts his spotlight on you, his glory. And he attracts people to you because he wants to show you off. Because just your eating, drinking, breathing, communicating, and living is preaching a message. And God wants to show you off. You're his prized possession. And what people won't listen to you about, they will watch you and read you about. Amen? Do you realize that? They may not listen to your words of life, but you got to remember you are the words of life. And your, your, your life is preaching. So the man that was healed became the agent of change for others. The Bible says that many came and followed Jesus to hear what he had to say and to be healed by him. His life, his changed life drew lots of people to Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Let's look at agent number two. Just to make sure we cover all the genders and I don't want to leave any of you ladies out. God can use you to change people too. And, and, and for all you men, to hear some hope. God can change a woman. Just, just letting you know. Yeah, a little slow on that one, but that's all right. It's the early service. <laughs> I may need to escort out of here out of the service. <laughs> if you guys volunteer. You? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll probably record the second service, not the first service. <laughs> Go with me to John chapter 4, verse 25. You getting something yet? Let me tell you about this story. It's a powerful story of the woman at the well. So agent number two is the woman at the well. Jesus and his disciples are traveling, and they've been traveling all morning. And by the way, this isn't a car ride. This isn't even a buggy ride. This is like Pete and Joe. They caught a ride with Pete and Joe. Okay? People walked. Just so you know. (laughs) Everywhere they went. They didn't have these cushioned shoes that we got. They got some old flat sandals. So they've been walking all morning and they get to the town or the region of Samaria. And Jesus is tired from the journey, the Bible says, and he sends his disciples into town to to go to McDonald's and grab a couple value meals and come back. And he stays at the well and, and to get himself something to drink and just to rest. So Jesus sits down and he begins to rest. And then all of a sudden, this Samaritan woman comes up with her bucket to get herself some water. And, and in those days, the Samaritans and the Jews were like the blacks and the whites back in Martin Luther King's time. Okay, you didn't ride, you didn't sit in the same seat, 
You didn't eat in the same restaurant. The, the blacks had to go to the back. They had to sit on the back of the bus. You remember what those times were like. That's what it was like between the Jews and the Samaritans. So the Samaritan lady walks up to the well. Jesus is sitting at the well. She's going to get her bucket. She's not even expecting to talk to him. Because she knows clearly that a, Jews view, a Jew views her as a dog. So she's just doing her thing. She goes up to get her water. Jesus begins to talk to her. He broke the racial barrier. And he begins to talk to her. And she goes, what are you doing talking to me? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You're not supposed to talk to me. And then Jesus begins to just have this conversation with her. And they're talking. And Jesus Jesus stops in the middle of the conversation. He goes, where's your husband? And she goes, I don't have a husband. He says, no. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with right now or the man you're shacking up with right now, he's not your husband either. Jesus reads her mail. Right? Reads her mail. You've had five husbands and the guy you're living with right now, you're not even married to him, so you're still living in sin. That's basically what he said. Some way, she didn't get offended and leave. She sat there and listened. And they're having this whole conversation. And Jesus begins to tell her about this water, this living water that will forever quench her. And she'll never have to come uh, to, she'll never be thirsty again. And she goes, well, man, give me some of this water. You know, this is good stuff. I won't have to come to the well no more. He goes, no, the water I'm talking about is different. And then she makes a statement. She goes, well, I know this much. So it tells me she knows a little bit of of scripture. She goes, I know this much. The Messiah is coming one day and he's going to tell us everything. Kind of like she was trying to one up Jesus, right? I know this. The Messiah is coming and he's going to tell us everything. And right in that moment, Jesus goes, I am the Messiah. Booyah, I'll get you some of that. Right? I am the Messiah. This woman's hit with a revelation that she's been talking to the Messiah. Now, what's funny is, is McDonald's had gone a little bit long. And the disciples didn't get back as quick as they should have. So they come back in that moment. The disciples are walking up. Jesus goes, I am the Messiah. And before she could say anything, the disciples walk up and they're thinking, the Bible says they're thinking in their mind, what in the heck is Jesus doing talking to the Samaritan woman? Oh, God, this is going to kill his reputation. They're thinking it. They're not saying it. But she, the Bible says she recognized the look on their face. And she walked away. She knew she wasn't welcomed. She walked away. She didn't walk away mad. She just got a revelation of who Jesus was. She went into the town to get as many people as she could to bring them back out to the well to meet what could be the Messiah. Let's pick it up in John chapter 4, verse 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then the disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? That was her message. 
You got to come see this dude at the well. He told me everything about me. Could he be the Messiah? Instantly got everybody's attention. Instantly got everybody curious. This is so good. So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, in other words, back at the well, the disciples were were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. Jesus says, no, I'm not eating. The bread I eat is is not your bread, and I don't need anything to eat right now. And then he starts teaching them this this sermon or this, this lesson on a harvest and teaching them that you can harvest in a field that you didn't plant. So Jesus goes into teacher mode, starts teaching his disciples, you need to get ready because you're about to harvest a, a crop that you didn't sow. Jesus knew the crowd was coming. You see, he's God. He knows everything. The crowd's coming. He knows what's about to happen. He's trying to get his disciples ready. He says, guys, you better get ready. You're about to reap a harvest that you didn't even sow. Somebody else sowed this thing years ago. So, so he's teaching that lesson. Verse 39, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed two more days. He wasn't even supposed to talk to them. You see, the enemy will get you to believing that you're untouchable and that you're so bad and you're so nasty and you're so rejected that Jesus won't even come and hang out with you. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus broke racial barriers. He broke disease barriers to touch people's lives. Jesus wants to be in your life and he will break through any barrier to get there if you'll invite him. If you'll invite him in. So he stayed two more days, long enough for many to hear his message and believe. Watch this. This is so good. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. A woman at the well had no clue she was going to run into Jesus that day. In an instant, she has an encounter with Jesus. She gets a revelation of who he is. She turns around, goes to her city, tells everybody else, hey, I might have found the Messiah. They come out to see because they believed her. But when they get to meet Jesus, then they believe him. So when Jesus touches your life and you leave church, If it happens at church and you go back into your community, you go back home, you go back to work, you go back to Walmart, whatever you do. You need to tell people that you found the Messiah. I found Jesus. You need to come see him. He shows up at our church. He's not the bald headed guy. And they will believe just like you believe. You see, they came because she said, but when they came, they got their own revelation. She was the agent of change to her community. Is this making sense? Agent number three. Go with me to Luke chapter eight. You're going to love this story. This one's really crazy. 
I love the Bible because there's just crazy stories in here, man. When you read them and you dig into them, you kind of go, man, that was, whew. Wish they'd shoot a movie about this one. Agent number three is the demon-possessed man. It's found in Luke chapter 8. This is a crazy story. I don't know if you can handle it. Can you handle it? All right. Luke chapter 8, verse 26 to 39. Watch this. So they arrived in the region of Gerasenes, across the lake from Galilee. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons, 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 multiple (laughs) demons, came out to meet him. For a long time, he had been homeless and naked. Say naked. You've been wanting to say naked in church for a long time. Living in a cemetery. Listen, he's living in a cemetery outside the town. So he's been homeless, naked, and living in the cemetery. As soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. There you go again. Fell down in front of Jesus. Humility. Then he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. This spirit had often taken control of the man. Even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles, he simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness completely under the demon's power. So Jesus, this is crazy. Jesus demanded, what is your name? Now, Jesus is not speaking to the guy. He's speaking to the demon. The demons were the ones that were speaking through the guy. You catching this? So Jesus tells the demons, what's your name? Legion, he replied, for he was filled with many demons. The demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. I'm like, dang, Jesus, you wasted some good pork. We could have had a boucherie. I mean. And the demons begged him to let them enter into the pigs. So Jesus gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and he saw the man who had been, and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. Watch this. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed, and perfectly sane. That's great, isn't it? Watch this. And they were scared to death. But this is the same guy that they put in chains and they tried to restrain him and they tried to lock him up because he was so crazy. Now he's in his right mind. And they're afraid of him. You see, for some of you, when you came to Jesus, your life was totally transformed. And people would tell you, I liked you better before you met Jesus. I told Pastor Bob, I was preaching this message this morning on the demon possessed man. He goes, that's my story. He came home, got delivered in one day from all of his addictions and everything, got filled with the Spirit of God and began to preach the gospel that day. Pastor Baba, 
he goes home and he's radical in his faith. And his mama looks at him one day and goes, I liked you better when you wasn't serving Jesus. His own mama. They were scared to death because demon-possessed boy was clothed. There must have been some bad clothes. I don't know what the dude was wearing. Maybe some dickies or something. I don't know. But I mean, it was bad. And they, they were scared. Then those who had seen what had happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And all the people in the region of the, of the Gerasenes begged Jesus to go away and leave them alone. I mean, are you seeing this? For a great wave of fear swept over them. I'm going, hold up a minute. Jesus just touched the craziest guy in town and changed his life. And now you want Jesus to leave? I wonder why they were so afraid. Was it because they lost a herd of pigs? Was it because the demon-possessed boy was now clean and sane? Or was it Jesus' authority and everything that they were trying to hide? You see, when people reject you because of Christ in you, don't take it personal. It's not you. It's the Jesus in you. They're scared to death of what you got because they might catch it. They might catch the flu called Jesus. And they don't want to deal with that. Is it making sense? Watch the end of this story. Fear swept over them. So Jesus returned to the boat and left, crossing back to the other side of the lake. Listen, that's Jesus. If you don't want him, he's going to go away. He's going to go on, move on about his business. The man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him home. I can see why he begged to go with Jesus. Think about this. These people just got afraid when he got healed. They's crazier than he is. I don't want to go. I was like, oh no, bro, you ain't leaving me here. Uh-uh, forget that. I'm coming. I'm climbing in the boat. You ain't leaving me with them people. He wanted to go. I mean, it's a story. It's the Bible. He wanted to leave. <laughs> but Jesus sent him home. Wow. Saying, no, don't come with me. Go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you. So he went all through the town proclaiming the great things Jesus had done for him. Wow. Can I I share a little bit of my story? When I got saved, actually when I came back to Christ, I was saved at 12 years old at the ABC camp. Backslid when I was about 17, ran buck wild for a while. When I came back to Christ and I got right with him and, and, and he began to stir and change my life and break the addictions in my life and all the things that I had done, I wanted to go away and hide. I was like, Lord, send me to a church camp somewhere. I just want to go in the woods. I'll run the camp. I'll cut the grass. I just don't want to deal with people. I don't want to be drawn into addiction again. I don't want to be tempted by all these people. I want to get away from the crazy people in my life. But he wouldn't let me. 
He kept me there. And then he sent me to other places that he wanted me to go. Why? Because I was carrying his message inside. And I had a message to preach. And I had a life to preach. Are you following me? The people that wouldn't listen to me, they couldn't help but see me. I mean, dear goodness, I'm two people in one. They had to see me, right? They had to see what was going on. They knew the old me. And now they see the new me. I'm preaching the whole time and my mouth is shut. The man who was set free became the agent of change. You know, God has a plan for every one of us. Say that with me this morning. Every one of you. Say, no, every, I want to say every one of you. I want you to say this. <laughs> say this with me. Say, God has a plan for me. Can you believe that? Despite what you've done, despite where you've been, Despite how many times you've rejected him, despite how many times you walked away from him, despite how many times you were selfish and arrogant and prideful and greedy, despite all of that, he still holds the plan for your life. And he wants to change your life. And he wants to transform your life. And he wants to make you an agent of change. To the people around you. Watch what it says in Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11. For I know. The plans I have for you says the Lord. They are plans for good. And not disaster. To give you a future. And a hope. That's God's plans for you. It's not plans of disaster. It's good plans that give you hope, that get you going in the right direction, that get you into the place where you're supposed to be, where you can find fulfillment in him. What the world can't quench in your life, Jesus can. That's a good place to say amen. 